No fear, no fear, no fear, no fear, no fear here on Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock. We're doing the show live from uh, uh, northeastern Washington, up on the Columbia River next to the Canadian border, Idaho, up in the corner up there. And um, there's a lot of discussion been going on this summer uh, around... uh, what we're doing next is what it really is coming down to. Now, a couple weeks ago, James Corbett and I, from the CorbettReport.com, James and I were talking about these very issues, uh, the philosophy that's coming and what should be promoted and espoused, and he gave me a homework assignment. He goes, Ernie, you need to go read uh, an article that he had done back in 15 or something. And I, I did. I, I read it. I looked at it. I And the title of it was... Let me pull it up here. How to really defeat globalism. Now, this was a, in opposition to the concept globalism versus nationalism. Is there a difference? And in between this regionalism, there's some ism going on. I got your can of ism right here, you know. So uh, James wanted me to, this, you know, get boned up on that. I did, and it led me down some paths, and i like to discuss it this week. But let's go ahead and talk about what it is that the article is about. Globalism, nationalism, regionalism gets in there a little bit. So go ahead and define these terms so we know what we're talking about. Will you, James? All right, sure. So as I hope our uh, your regular listeners will know by now, globalism is this ideology of the ruling oligarchs that essentially we are moving towards some sort of one world system. Now that could be the ultimate final goal of global government. Uh, There's going to be some whatever seat of power in Brussels or wherever it is that's going to be the parliament for the world and make all of the plans for the world. And that is an idea that's been kicking around for quite a while. Well, really for millennia, if you go back and think about every every world-conquering tyrant in history has had the dream of basically bringing the entire world under their thumb. But specifically, post-World War II, there was a lot of talk about creating a global government, a parliament of the world, etc. Um, and so that idea has been kicking around for a while. But I think more so than an actual global government, which of course would be a form of globalism, I think there are other forms of globalism that are defined by the ideology that basically more more power in fewer hands. That's ultimately the ideal here. And of course, that works out well for the oligarchs who tend to be in charge of this system, right? Opposed to globalism, then, as I assume a lot of people in your audience would be, what is opposed to that ideology? And a lot of people will default to thinking, well, okay, they're trying to erode the nation state system in order to move us into the UN, whatever, global government of the future system. So how do we really counteract that? Well, we better be more nationalistic and more patriotic and worship the flag even harder. That will teach those globalists, I tell ya. And my uh, article that was written in 2015, but I think is absolutely as uh, as pertinent today as it was back then, um, tries to debunk that by pointing out that nationalism was always just a stepping stone towards globalism, essentially. It was a way of getting people to uh, uh, forsake their natural human individual liberties uh, in this in the name of collectivism and rallying around a flag so that at some point they could take this national flag that you love and would die for and would you know, bleed for and it's it defines you 
And then they can just swap that flag out for another flag, the UN flag, whatever it is. You have been trained into giving over your personal sovereignty to this collective ideal. Well, then we'll just switch your idea of what the collective yeah, ideal is. Here's the new is. flag you got to wave at the parade. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, this, this is uh, why I think nationalism is not fundamentally opposed to globalism. Now, of course, when we're talking about the momentum, there's a momentum towards, you know, UN global institutions, WHO, what have you, then yes, going, trying to protect national sovereignty is going in the other direction of that momentum. But as I say, I don't think it's fundamentally opposed because at base, what is the ap absolute core bedrock philosophical principle that is at base of what we who are opposed to the collectivist oligarchs, what is, what is our philosophy? It has to be based on individual human autonomy, liberty, right down to the individual. And when we forsake that, when we make compromises on that, well, you've got to have a nation state. That's the, that's the compromise that they play on to basically direct people towards the international globalist system. And uh, there's very specific points of history that I mentioned in this article that we can get into if you want. But at any rate, that's the, uh, the broad overview. The one thing before we get into a lot of discussion, a lot of the highlights that I made um, was regional government, you know, regionalism. You know, there was kind of this segue, you know, a little bit between a national to it's not really global, it's kind of a regional thing, you know. And we contended with that in Arizona in the mid-90s when they were trying to do regional government on a state level, making the county kind of a, its own legislative level or something. And they're, they brought in the term regional government, regional, regional. I never really understood what the hell are they talking about? You know, go ahead and give me your definition of what do you think regionalism is? Yeah, I think exactly right. So I, I'm talking about the final end goal of globalism would be the global government with the single seat of power in the parliament over the world or whatever it is. But the stepping stone along that path, first you have uh, you have the colonial government or the state government, then you have the nation state government, then you have regional government. And this is somewhere in between that global system versus the national system. And, and that's specifically the momentum um, towards global government that I was talking about in that post-World War II era, where immediately after World War II, they start talking about some form of European Union. Who was talking about it? Specifically, the Bilderbergers were talking about it from the very first meeting of the Bilderberg Group from its inception in the 1950s. They were starting to talk about the uh, the creation of a European Union. Now, actually, that was that idea was first being floated um, by the, uh, the 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 Nazis, but really the Germans at the end of World War II, as they realized we're going to lose this war, but we need to preserve our our power we need to start uh, creating institutions that will basically be a European infrastructure that we can have power in. And this was the Red House report um, that I've talked about before. It's part of the deep history that feeds into Bilderberg and Prince Bernhard, the uh, the Nazi, et cetera, who helped found um, uh, Bilderberg. So there's, there's this pedigree to this idea. But anyway, the, in the 50s, they start talking about it, but they realize you know, we have a long way to go to get the public to accept this idea of a European Union. So we'll start it out as a 
as a trade agreement. And it's, it's just a coal import trade deal between a few countries. And that starts to formalize and coalesce into a greater and more yeah, we gotta get us an office. structure. You bring the UK into it. You start making it more of an institution. Bada bing, bada boom, you have the European Union. And what was it in 2007 or six or whatever it was? North American Union thing. They, well, they tried to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the EU. And everyone was looking around saying, 50? Is the EU really 50? And they're going, no, remember that cold trade uh, deal that we signed back in the 1950s? That was actually the start of the European Union. Well, you didn't tell us that. <laughs> anyway, remember, so that's the game. I remember about that time, it was, um, you know, you're a conspiracy nut if you even heard the term trilateral commission or Bilderberg or all that kind of, until it was about that time that they were out celebrating their 40th anniversary. Yep, we've been around, woohoo! You know, and thanks to all the media that made it possible for us yep. to hoodwink the what. And I'm going, and and it's on their webpage, you know, and it's just like you're you're a conspiracy nut until you're not, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I wanted to bring up North American Union because it was kind of all the rage when you wrote this. And um, mm. I remember that was, they were trying to get a North American, God, what they call it, the Amero or something, a currency or something. And that's when we started getting involved in legislation in Arizona to make uh, gold, silver, and copper legal tender and so on, which we were successful in varying degrees. And it was uh, a legislator that came to us and she said, what can I do as a state legislator? I mean, they're they're just abandoning the dollar. I go, they're going to go to this North American America. No, they're going to go to the world, though, man. I mean, this is – don't ever think that this isn't, you know, they're going to get theirs. So um, I – I wanted to bring up the definition for these so you can see that there's a trend. And the one thing that I I really was, even in high school, you know, in the 70s, I was enamored with the concepts of uh, Thomas Jefferson because he was unique in where he was like, the nation state is not there to, to... protect the nation, the nation state, you know, the, the ship of state, you know, we got to protect the Titanic. We don't give a crap about the people, you know, we got, we got to save the ship, you know, so save our ship, you know, save the ship of state. I don't give a crap about the ship of state. What about the people? Well, he was more focused on the people. And the one thing that I wanted to talk about is that of course we're focusing, we're making a lot of headway on occupy the land thing. And um, it was the yeoman farmer concept of Thomas Jefferson and uh, expansion on that. Can you talk about that a little bit and maybe I have something to say about it? Right. Absolutely. Well, in order to understand what uh, Jefferson was getting at and why it was so important to him, we have to understand the other, the flip side of that, that philosophy. So, uh, of course, as I hope your audience is well aware, obviously, Jefferson and the uh, the other Founding fathers, who at least were on the good side of the fight, were influenced by uh, John Locke, for example, and the idea of individual liberty, which was starting to burgeon in the in the Anglo world, in the English-speaking world, that, uh, in the 17th century, coming to fruition in the 18th century with the American Revolution, etc. This is what we fought for. But opposed to that is uh, the fact that there, well, that doesn't that that tradition, that philosophical tradition, doesn't really exist in many other cultures. And uh, an example of how this this other philosophy has fl- fostered in other cultures, I, I turn to Johann Fichte, who, in the wake of Napoleon's crushing defeat of the Prussians at Jena in the early 19th century, and oh, the French humiliated us. We, we as the Prussian as the German, the nascent German state, we have to come together and 
and and make sure this never happens again. And how do we do that? We have to coalesce as a German nation. We are the German speaking people. We have to get rally around that and start to defend what will become the German state at, at any rate. And so he he's writing about why the love of fatherland must itself govern the state and be the supreme, final, and absolute authority. Its first exercise of this authority will be to limit the state's choice of means to secure its immediate objects, internal peace. To attain this object, the natural freedom of the individual must, of course, be limited in many ways. And that finds expression specifically as Fick goes on to talk about in his address to the German nation that we, we have to essentially do this by means of education, foster this true and all-powerful love of fatherland. And it's the Prussian education system specifically. You might have, may have heard uh, John Taylor Gatto and others talking about the history of education and how we came to have this schooling system that we have today. And they always talk about the Prussian education system uh, that certainly was transplanted here to Japan. It was transplanted to the United States. This is where it comes from. It was specifically designed to instill this love of fatherland and the erosion of the idea of individual liberty. As opposed to this, you have the John Locke line of thought coming down through Thomas Jefferson and others. And Jefferson is writing about the yeoman far farmer, the idea that a, a state, a, a, a nation comprised of yeoman farmers would be preferable to a nation comprised of um, bankers and businessmen and people who had been trained in the schooling system, precisely not because uh, he was interested in promoting nationalism, but precisely because he recognized that independent yeoman farmers, people who were capable of working the land, providing for themselves, trading with others around them to get what they what, what else they need, those people are more independent and will be less likely to, um, to be colonized, essentially, by a national government. He was doing this as a way of getting people to resist government. We need to cultivate the type of person who's going to be self-sufficient, independent, capable of being individual, uh, displaying their individual liberty. So that was what Jefferson was getting at. And he was against the types of people who were following the line of Fichte. For example, Benjamin Rush, co-signer of the Declaration of Independence, um, who advocated for the creation of public schools for the express purpose of turning children into state-loving automatons. Quote, from the observations that have been made, it is plain that I consider it as possible to convert men into Republican machines. machines yeah. <laughs> this must be done if we expect them to perform their parts properly in the great machine of the government of the state. So this is not some sort of idle, like, philosophical fairy fairyland. This has to do with the most important issues of human freedom and how we attain it. And there is a real sharp ideological line between people who are going for individual liberty and people who are opposed to it. And that is the real war that we are you fighting, know, whether we know it or not. I want to make this point because whenever they do this, we got to, you know, for the fatherland, the motherland, the whatever land, the collective of, you know, our collective is going to beat their collective, you know, with our collectivism. But the, um, uh, to me, it was they had to bring in the argument of, you know, you're going to be more prosperous. Uh, you're going to be more free. It's going to be better. You're going to have more and better stuff and, you know, G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip, you know, for Christmas for your kid or something. I mean, they have to, you know, come up with whatever it is that the other side says that they want to prosperity, freedom, 
you know, uh, a better housing, better health care, better whatever it is, they'll come and say, oh, this is the way to do it. Well, of course, as freedom-loving individuals and understanding uh, meritocracy and the value of the individual and all that, we're going, eh, it doesn't matter if you're not here. Here's your gold-plated spoon that you get to eat nothing with, you know, because you, you didn't make anything. But the um, I wanted to read this, you know, from, uh, uh, how do you say it, feet, you know? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say feet. Yeah, feet. F-I-C-H-T-E. Now, there's a quote in here when he was talking about this that you put. The aim of the state is positive law, internal peace, and a condition of affairs in which everyone may everyone may by diligence earn his daily bread and satisfy the needs of his material existence so long as God permits him to live. All this is only a means, a condition, and a framework for what love of fatherland really wants, that the eternal and divine may blossom in a world never cease to become more and more pure, perfect, excellent, blah, blah, blah. You get all this stuff. And then he says, that is why this love of fatherland must itself govern the state and be supreme, final, and absolute authority of blah, blah, blah. Now, yeah. then, of course, you got to yeah. sacrifice your individual liberty. Now, if you look at it, of course, they always, I mean, no matter what ism they come up with, is that the best way for you to be able to maintain your material existence and be able to feed yourself, clothe yourself, not be too hot, too cold, too wet, you know, that kind of thing. You have to do this. And never has the more and more collective that you get, the more and more central plan that you get, the less and less likely you are to get that very thing. They never yeah. address that, you know? Well, they don't realize that, I think. A lot of them don't anyway. They, they genuinely don't believe it. Okay, a couple of important things to mention here. One, Fichte is clearly writing in the tradition, in the philosophical tradition of Hegel. And Hegel was, I think, a complete wrong turn in philosophical history. Um, and Hegel was uh, a, a German philosopher writing um, pre-Marx, uh, influenced and inspired Marx. Um, but his idea was that history is progressing. It is a teleological history. It's progressing towards a goal. But unlike, say, the Christian conception of history, it's progressing towards a goal, the, the return of Jesus and the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth and all of that. No, 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 no. What What is happening is through a process of dialectic, ideas are coming into war with each other, and that creates some sort of new idea, which is some form of synthesis of those two ideas. And then that idea comes into its opposite and forms a new synthesis and so on and so on and so on throughout history. So history is progressing in this way. And Hegel's idea is it's progressing towards the capital S, state. The state is the supreme manifestation of human history, and we're 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 progressing towards this absolute state, and um, and so that's why uh, Marxism is called dialectical materialism. He took Hegel's dialectic, this idea that history is progressing in this way towards this end, and he said, "Well, get let's get rid of any sort of the supernatural, you know, God stuff and all of that. It's just about the material conditions of reality." And that's creating these wars. And we're, we're at the stage of the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. And that's going to lead to Marxism, the perfect utopian communism of the future, right? That was the idea that Marx was on. That's what Fichte is picking up on here. This idea that it is in the service of the state, the fatherland, that we find our true full expression. And that's what we, we as individuals don't really matter. It's what we do for the fatherland that really matters. And that is the conception that has driven so many people. You bring up what I think is the important point of this is even, even if you think in those terms, 
is it really true? Is it really possible for a nation state to be organized in a way that there's a top-down control that directs every individual of what to do and how to do it in order to serve the state? And the answer is no. Um, but that's not an answer that a lot of people have. I think intuitively we think we see our processes in everyday life and we think, well, there needs to be some central person deciding everything. There needs to be a manager, a boss who yeah. tells everyone what to do. They want to wear the in team jersey. Plan. <laughs> right. But uh, but no, no, there is a different idea. It's called spontaneous order. And uh, if people are interested in that, they can go back to. People like Hayek and others who are, we're talking about in the 20th century. There was Chinese philosophers talking about it 2,500 years ago. It's not a new idea. The Scottish Enlightenment. Yeah, it's not that hard to understand, even for a kid that's saying, you know, like it, very simple yeah. things. You, you put yeah. a lot of times when I'm talking to people or, you know, I get call-ins on the radio. I was in Terran Radio in Phoenix and stuff. And I just go, imagine I got my hand on your shoulder and I ask you, whose life is this? Well, most people would say mine. And I go, oh, welcome to freaking freedom. I mean, you know, you're a liberty guy then. And the the reason the show is called Declare Your Independence was because it, it made it clear that the purpose of government, you know, as Jefferson wrote it and a lot of the, the sentiment of the time and, you know, the Federalist Papers, you know, later on and all this stuff, it was the purpose of government was to defend the rights of the individual, and against all enemies, foreign and domestic, you know, kind of thing. The Constitution, which was to protect the rights of the individual, which is why the Bill of Rights were insisted upon, or we're going we're gonna to have another revolution, you know. And it was that sentiment that really caught me, that nowhere have I ever seen any documents, certainly creating a government, that the government wasn't the prime directive. The people were the prime directive. They got to have some influence on it, you know, ideally, you know, then, it, you know, before the ink is dry and it starts to go. But I mean, you know, ideally how it was sold and how all these other isms try to sell theirs is that they're trying to expand on the idea how much better off you'll be. You'll own nothing and be happy, <laughs> you know, so they're always the happy part comes in, you know, but they didn't promise that in the origination of America, it was more the pursuit of happiness. You are, you have your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness, whatever that individual pursuit is. It doesn't violate someone else's pursuit. Peace. You know, you go do what you want. But the, but they always, this was one thing that, uh, you know, with the, the, uh, the Prussian school system, this was John Taylor Gatto. You really get a lot of this from, and I encourage people to go, uh, look up his work, but it says, um, modern forced schooling started in Prussia in 1819 with a clear vision of what centralized schools could deliver. This was the goal. And it, it, think of it's not the goal now. Here we go. Obedient soldiers to the army, obedient workers to the mines, well-subordinated civil servants to government, well-subordinated clerks to industry, citizens who thought alike about major issues. This was, you were servants to something else, somebody else, not yourself. <coughs> so I'm looking at this and, it, and it, it, they go, we got to fix the school system. Fix it. It's fixed the way they want it. You know, they, there's nothing to fix. They just, you know, keep, you know, refining it and they, to the point that it's, it's not schooling anybody or it's not educating anybody, you know. So 
it becomes obvious that we have to do something else. Now, when, when you start talking about nationalism, I give it in its, you know, uh, probably most recent form, when you had um, MAGA rise up and, and before Trump started running in 15, you know, Brexit was a big thing. So it was, a, it was starting to pull back from this. There was a, a popular sentiment, Nigel Farage, which was a member of parliament in the European Union from uh, uh, the... Um, uh, Independence Party, UK, you know, uh, KIP, you know, the, the Independence Party in UK or something. Well, what happened was just a few days ago, they shut off all his banking. They go, oh, well, you, you didn't think we forgot about you, did you? You know, so they're just, you know, he doesn't have any financial services. And th there's so much stuff going on that I'm of the opinion that people are starting to realize that they're going to have to be more... Um, vocal in what they want and that they are just going to do it, but they are going to stop them from doing it. You know, this is, you know, they, them, those that won't leave us alone. These guys, they need to have everything. Their target is everything. When they say you'll own nothing, I think they're talking about everything. I mean, you'll own nothing, including land. I'm thinking that this, uh, the land, the resources, the minerals, the, you know, that asteroid's ours too. I mean, you know, this yeah. is, this is a full on, you are just bacteria. And i And that's why the yeoman farmer idea that Jefferson was talking about was so important because he recognized he that understood. The, the urbanization, the, the trend towards urbanization is a trend toward loss of individual liberty, precisely because when you are working the land, when you are on the land, working the land, gaining your sustenance from the land, you have that direct connection. You not only have the independence and self-sufficiency and not just the, the, the knowledge, know-how and spirit of self-sufficiency that comes along with that, but you also have that direct connection to your property. Because let's not forget the original formulation under Locke was life, liberty and property. Mm -hmm. And that became life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And property is the important point of this because this is mine. What does that mean? It's very abstract when we're living in some apartment that you rent on a monthly basis that you, you don't have any title to anything versus when you are literally working the land. And I think Jefferson recognized and realized that very early. Yeah, my, 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 mine. You know, he talks here is um, he considered him the most virtuous virtuous citizen of the republic. I don't know if you could be of anything. I mean, you know, but the most virtuous yeah. citizen because he was interested in promoting um, uh, nationalism, uh, it says, not because he was interested in promoting nat nationalism, but precisely because they were the most independent and most likely to resist government. So this is, I, I, I get the feeling that as we start to promote, we have a project that we're um, uh, developing and we're getting closer and closer and closer, and it's OccupyTheLand.org. You can go start checking stuff out and we'll start uh, interfacing with the audience more on it. But Occupy the Land is getting out of the cities. It's being able to be more self-sustaining. We have a large liberty community that are starting to do this already. They're starting to look. And I, you know, the one thing that I wanted to talk with James about today, I, I was uh, doing a writing to our uh, telegram groups and some of our forums and so on. I said, look, we're going to start bringing it over back to freedomsphoenix.com. I'm the publisher of and start having our freedom form. That's more internalized. I don't like these other platforms that first thing I want your phone number and your whole pirate network. They want to map out and all this other crap, you know, but, um, 
the main thing is there's always been for the last few years, we've been traveling the country on the love bus and it's been real focus on intentional communities. We need to have an intentional community. We got to come together as intentional communities. And I've never seen that work, not for any amount of time. And it's always, you know, it's a little mini collective, the beat up collectivism or something. And it, it's always they argue over everything. I mean, you know, who broke the tractor and who gets the best land and who paid for and did and kind of whatever. So I'm, you know, I don't really see that. So I was arguing for unintentional communities to where you have your own property in an area of, you know, whatever. You probably don't even see your neighbors, but man, there's a gathering when it comes 4th of July, which was yesterday here. So last night, my grandchildren are up in Washington here where we have friends and supporters that we're visiting. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, some names you know, you know, um, um, here in the area on the Columbia River had the kids out having a great time and at night and the fireworks and all that. And they're playing song, proud to be in the market, or at least I know I'm free. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, you know. But what other experiences would they have of that run around all day, freedom, blowing off fireworks, going shooting, doing, you know, with friends and family and freedom and praying and everything, and then proud to be in America. Of course, they're going to internalize that a little bit. So I'm just, um, you know, what does that mean? And that indoctrination, how is it used against them later? So these families have to be able to articulate and understand, you know, to the kids that they're on the land. And where it was at was a family that does herbs, you know, they uh, essential oils and so on. Big giant fields of, of lavender and all kinds of different herbs and everything that they distill into these essential oils that they use. I, I can't remember what they called it, you know, but it's um, uh, they're on the land. You know, these kids are totally different than some urban kids, you know, and there was a bunch of kids. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of kids. So it's um, when you say proud to be an American, of course, I'm talking to James Corbett, you know, Canadian living in Japan, you know, but the um, proud to be an American. But you just recently went to Europe. You know, you were at uh, an event in the United Kingdom. Got to travel a little bit. It's been after lockdowns and so on. You're talking around to people. That proud to be an American, does that even mean anything anymore? You probably are asking the wrong person on that. But uh, yes, I mean, okay, it does. It obviously still resonates with people, which is why when Bud Light falls face first into the, the craziness of the past <laughs> few months, the first thing they do is try to wrap themselves in the American flag. We're more American than anything. And here's some horses and cowboys and American flag and rah, rah, drink our beer again. So there's clearly still that pull in the cultural zeitgeist. But the question is, what does it really mean? And you raised the interesting, an interesting point there that I need to tease out a little bit more because you raised the idea of unintentional community. To my mind, that's what we live in right now. We live in an unintentional community. It's a community, but we sure didn't choose our neighbors or think about, or most people didn't choose our neighbors, think about where, we're, you know, is this the right place? That was kind of intentional by zoning in the man. I guarantee that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Unintentional by us, maybe intentional by others, right? Um, so yes, there is something to to that concept. But um, to to my mind, any any step in the right direction requires conscious intention, requires us to be mindful of, to be aware of even the issues that are involved, so that we can make conscious decisions to take steps in the right direction. 
Why do I say that? Because let's head off the people who are going to make the easy criticism of, oh, you know, James, uh, you're being an idiot. Of course, nationalism is against globalism because they're trying to... Okay, I get the practicality of it. As I say, I understand that since the momentum is all towards the regional global government, then nationalism is in the opposite direction of that momentum. I get that. And so, yes, as a... You know, no, okay, I understand I'm, your point. This was made um, by a presentation at the Libertarian National Convention like a decade ago. Um, a uh, well, a, a gay escort sex worker, star child. I mean, you know, of all people. But he he understood. He's going. Look, this nationalism is not any better. This nationalism is just the same ritual. It's the same neurons. It's the same mindset. It's the same. You're you're giving your allegiance to something or a collective or tell you what to do. You know, up higher on the food chain or something. I mean, you're you're not practicing volunteerism or or anarchy or, or self determination. Or I guess self determination is the the best word. It's not self determination when you're not self determining. And when I say, you know, declare your independence with Ernest Hancock, one of one of my, you know, really aha moments is early on when I first started doing the radio show back in 03, a caller goes, um, do I have to declare my independence with you? <laughs> and I go, no, you don't. You, I declare my independence. See how easy it was? You don't even need a government form. I mean, you know. So that mindset, just being triggered that way to think that way is the win. Yeah. You know, it's about the mindset because, yes, you can have that sort of, okay, well, you know, nationalism is against the globalist idea. But but really, I'm I'm for individual human liberty. It's just sort of, you know, in the world that we're living in, we have to make certain. But if it's not motivated from that fundamental understanding of my my self-determination, my human individual autonomy, then you will get tricked into ultimately supporting bigger agendas, making compromises, starting to go against your own vision. And no better example than that, I I would say, than something like the MAGA movement, where I saw people, even conspiracy realists, lose their mind for a few years. Oh, you know, you don't Just get follow the plan. it's going to end all of this and blah, blah, blah. And then coming t- t- tail tucked between their legs a few years later, well, you might have been right about that, James. But now, now it's whatever, RFK or whoever the next political savior is going to be, you will get caught up in that game if you do not come from the intentional mindset. And that's why intentional community, I'm not willing to forego that that concept yet. I agree. That there, uh, first of all, I, I agree that it almost never works out. Like you're, you're not going to find the intentional community that survives and thrives for generations or even decades. Um, but at any rate, uh, I, I don't think it has to be that that sort of intentional community where people literally purchase a communally a plot of land and they all live together on that plot of land. Uh, that's, you know, you, you are definitely going to involve, that's going to bring problems at some point. But the idea, I think something like the Free State, Pro- Free State Project idea um, not not their political aspirations, not the specific thing that's going on in New Hampshire, but just that idea of people of a like mind living in the same general area. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily, again, have to all live on the same right. plot of land, but just having in your area that's, that sort of common understanding, the common goal, the, at least the idea that human liberty is important and worth preserving would be a nice thing to have. And the more that we can make that happen in the real world, I think the better we can actually preserve our liberty. I have talked to a lot. Of, I always have three questions. 
what do I have to do in your community of whatever, what's required of me? Give me money is usually the first thing. But, you know, it, it's, what do I have to do? The second thing is what am I prevented from doing? Oh, you can't do that, whatever it is. And what's your conflict resolution? Well, I say that's not, you know, in the bylaws of whatever the heck. I mean, how are you going to decide? And it becomes more and more important to know that the closer and closer and more overlapped interest of tight-nipped of intentional community you got. Now, the Free State Project, what James is referring to is um, years ago in the mid-2000s, they made a, that's a long story, but they moved to New Hampshire. You know, a lot of people, they said the Free State Project, we're going to have a, you know, live free or die state. It's going to be a relatively small state where a lot of anarchist, libertarian, freedom, liberty community, volunteerist people can move to and have a community and influence on their local governments. Well, it worked. I mean, they're they're doing it. You know, they them those don't like it, but you know, I mean, they're having an impact. But to the degree to the degree that they are individuals, that they're in an unintentional community. They're a community. They're a liberty community, but it's not overlapped on each other. I mean, a lot of people live different. You know, farm workers will stay there. Or some people moving to the state will stay with free staters, and they'll go on to get their own. So there's a lot of overlap and support. But it's not common property. That is not, you know, so it makes it a lot more robust and resilient to change. So when the lockdown comes in, the pandemic, and what do they do? They start buying pigs, cows, horses, whatever the heck, you know, and they start be a farming, you know, for sure. So this, but they had Here's the real question. What did they do in actuality? Because uh, from um, my recollection, uh, there was no official even condemnation of lockdowns or the concept of it from the official uppity up. You know, that was, you know, you are correct. There was, there was some um, schism inside, you know, some people, oh, oh, vaccines are science and this and that, whatever. But, you know, the people that weren't, um, uh, there's a a phrase that it's called Steiger's Law from Arizona. It's a long story, but it goes like this. Whenever you create an organization around a movement or a cause, sooner or later, the organization becomes more important than the reason you created it. Every freaking time. I've been doing this for 35 years. And I'm telling you, you create an organization, that becomes the goal as opposed to whatever you did it for. So, but... It was individuals, enough individuals that were prosperous, that were, you know, uh, diligent, that were, you know, knowledgeable to be able to sustain themselves and their neighbors and friends and set an example for other people that they're going to be fine. Was it the organization that did it? No, it was the unintentional community that was created by these type of mindset people that went there supporting each other. It wasn't, you know, the official free state of we're going to whatever and dole out and our help program for indigent, whatever the heck. That didn't happen, which was never really intended to anyway. It's the people that did it. And this is why I have more um, support for an unintentional community. It will it will evolve on its own. Be an add to your community, not a subtraction. Because a, a bunch of povertarians, you know, looking for a couch to surf on while they're going around saying how anarchist they are, you know, aren't an add. <laughs> but yeah. you know, no, exactly. You yeah. know, there are a lot that are. No, it's an important thing to keep in mind is that people are. Uh, if you go into it simply looking for what do I get out of this, then. Is that the basis for community? Are you really going to have a community if that if that is the basis? No, it has to be. What can I provide 
as well as what do I get out of it? And there has to be a balance between you know. Elements. This is one thing I you know we haven't talked about this. I want I really want to do some more research on on this. Um, we've advocated for it before in articles and letters of Captain Mark and reprisal on pirateswithoutborders.com, our site. And it uh, scuttlebutt. It's a it's like a reputation score for individuals for liberty. It, it it's a, um, a social credit score, but privately by individuals by community members, which happens anyway on all social media, Facebook of we don't like and ex girlfriends want to say how bad you are or something, whatever. But the point is, is that any community like this, it all, always suffers the fools and the provocateurs. And the trolls and the government agents. You know, there's always that guy or gal that comes in, causes a ruckus. And if you can identify them, if you know who they are, you know, and you say, you definitely don't want that person involved in, and because they're the first one to show up, they definitely want to help you with your computer system, you know. And um, the last to leave, and they want to be involved, and they vote themselves into, you know, I'm in charge of the whatever, and then it goes to crap. You know, every time. Right. So I'm, I'm, what do you think of that? I mean, you know, it's uh, people would be averse to a a database. No, it's a very good point. It's a very good question. And in a way, it's kind of the, the big societal issue writ small of, um, when you create these giant positions of power that uh, are, you know, where you have um, power and jurisdiction over an entire nation or what have you, who is going to be attracted to that? It's the psychopaths. It's the scum. It's the people you don't want to be in those positions. Um, so if we recreate that in a smaller scale and in, in some intentional or unintentional community at a, at a local scale, and we put these positions of power in there, that there's somebody who gets to write the rules and dictate this and be in charge of that, then who do you think is going to be attracted to those positions? It is right. it is only through a system where there there is no centralized positions of power that you can really limit the damage that people can do. People can always do damage to others. That is part of humanity. So that will be part of the expression of human liberty. But if we can limit that by not giving these psychopaths and 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 treasonous people positions of power over others that would be a good start wouldn't it and they're always going to seek it you create um, it they're they're showing up are we on delay did you catch that uh, i i don't know i'm just trying to process it they're showing up well i mean if you if you create a a if you create a shiny badge you know who's gonna kill lie steal cheat to get it yeah you know, the people, yeah. you know, we're the victims of our own goodness. You know, they're, they're not, they're not yeah. limited by, you know, ethics. They're going to come in and, you know, they'll beat the living crap guy and freaking lie, cheat, steal, election fraud, whatever the hell they got to do. I have the right. shiny badge. I'm in charge of the trillion dollar budget now, you know? So, yeah. So what's the real resilience? The real resilience, once again, is the actual intention, the conscious understanding of what the real problem is and how and what my role in the world is. I am not subject to someone's presumed authority simply because they have a hat or a badge. And what is, how do people wrap their mind around this? It was uh, Frank Russell's um, story, And Then There Were None, which I covered on my, on on the Corbett Report a few years ago. Uh, there's even a reading of it that people can listen to if they don't want to read the story. It's, it's just a short story. But anyway, um, I suggest they do so. The idea is, and what if you really had, in this case, it's science fiction, so it's an entire planet, but anyway, a community of people who literally will not, not accept the idea that they can be governed? 
will not listen to any outside authority telling them what to do simply because they're some sort of authority. They will do things for other people if they want to, but not if they don't. And how do you go in and conquer that planet or that community? And what does it mean to conquer a people like that that will not respond to orders? That's why the intention is the most important part of this. The people's conscious understanding of what human liberty is and how it functions. Everything else on that is icing on the cake. But if you don't have that core, then you don't have a community that will be able to resist those psychopaths. You know, one thing that I, I, I you said intention, you know, that's one thing that I've seen in my experience. Once you realize their intention, you know, they're, you know, mm. God, what's their, what are they trying to do? They're going to do it. You know, if they can, they are. And, um, you know, so what do you think they're, they, them, those won't leave us alone. These different groups of consolidated of, we got a bug for you to eat. You know, what is their intention? I mean, can you sum it up? Well, look, I can't see into the hearts and minds of others. So I can only speculate as to this, the secret inner workings of people's minds and thoughts. But we can look at what is demonstrably on the record as to what they're doing to understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. And in each and every case, no matter what aspect of this overall agenda you're talking about, it is always towards the centralization of more and more power in fewer and fewer hands. So let's just look at the craziness of the past few years, the rise of the biosecurity state, and what is being offered as the solution to this. It's the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization needs more power to basically inflict its uh, its particular medical treatments on the world over in the event of the next scamdemic. And so how are they going to do this? Oh, of course, the WHO treaty, etc. That is why it, it it's fundamentally, as, as you say, it's about the intention. Because if we know their intention is always and in every case to take more and more power into their fewer and fewer hands, then we know that every single problem that comes along is just going to be through whatever mental gymnastics they have to apply is going to be the the justification for more and more power being centralized into fewer and fewer hands. Wow, who would have thought yeah. the answer Shocking. to 9-11 was to give the CIA and FBI and the Homeland Security State even more power and money. The answer to the scamdemic is to give the WHO more power and money. That's what they will always do. And once we see that game, then we cannot be, we hopefully will not be fooled by the event of the next emergency crisis. Oh, we better give them more money and power. No, All that's right. clearly what's leading us in the wrong direction. But only if we see their intentions and what they're trying to do. Here. Well, let's go, let's go ahead and discuss that for a second. Um, the arguments that we would make against whatever the heck they were doing. We're going to go to war. This That'll fix it. We killed just 5,000 terrorists. We're done. You know, like that, not going to create 500,000 pissed off people. But the um, we we understand this. We can articulate it. Even in my lifetime, I've gone through, you know, freaking OPEC boycott uh, embargoes. Uh, 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 we had Iran-Contra. We got... Uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, Oklahoma City, bombing 9-11, you know, the, the tarp and the financial crash in 8 and the ones going now and yada. I mean, you know, oh, my God, you know, plus war, 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 war. So this has been, I feel so manipulated, indoctrinated, and, you know, this, this uh, and, and, of course, they use movies, entertainment industry, magazines, comic books, school, you know, the, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, during the 80s, and all you would see is the same five stories in the same order from each of the, I mean, oh, my God, it, I, I get it. So as they're doing this again, 
do we really have the value of pointing out, no, they're thinking wrong, no, they're doing it wrong, no, they're lying, no, they're, as opposed to just emphasizing, you know, the support of the concept of freedom of the individual. No, we're not going to take mandates. No, we're not going to lock down. No, we're not going to, it's just non-compliance. And then kind of all that other information kind of comes out of it. I'm wondering if, if the tip of the spear, if the influencers were just to influence not complying just out of principle, I don't even got to tell you why, because mm. there's a whole bunch of Corbett Report videos to tell you the backstory, yep. you know, over here. I'm just really, are we, I'm just, I'm looking for yeah. non-compliance. Well, do you think that would be psychologically effective? I don't On know. On some people, sure. But on the general population, probably not. Here's so, in in terms of the practical question of what we should be advocating and how. Well, I'm not going to ever tell anybody how to do what, right. you know, do whatever you feel is is going to work. But um, let's let's make this observation. H. L. Mencken, a century ago, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. That's that's the game plan yeah. to keep people in per, 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 perpetual crisis mode, emergency after emergency. Oh, my God, it's the terrorists. Oh, my God, it's the virus. Oh, my God, it's whatever they come up with next. Um, oh, I know. Next. Order, What's so, next? Oh, my God. Well, how will we live? How will we live if, if the government isn't there to protect us? The, so I think the real way that we address this is the Thomas Jefferson idea of inculcating that yeoman farmer mindset. It is about self-sufficiency and independence to the point that you don't care See, what they are menacing you with. Oh, no. And oh, that's my point. going to come get us. Well, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need your non-safety security. Well, that's kind of my point. I mean, if we were to focus on that, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering if my uh, advocacy for occupying the land, and we're making a big effort. I mean, here we go. Okay, this is you know, I've done a lot of these projects, and we you know over the years and decades, and had a lot of influence on you know a lot of stuff. But um, this one is it because you know that's what I want. You know, it's what I see. It's uh, you know for my family and my children and grandchildren that I don't want them to fight this battle. They can't even have it in the land. You know, I mean, is this? You know, I'm going. Yeah, or is it, or is it, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it as a real solution for uh, pretty much it's whatever they, them, those want. You know, you got to go the opposite. I mean, gosh, you know, they, they're really coming after us. So um, if I was to advocate for that, it would just be more self-sustaining, you know, be, be more insulated from, you know, the central plans of, be more, be more, be more. And as I go rule, in the last few years, we took time to go a lot more rural. We didn't hit the big cities. We went to the small towns and ranching and farming and logging and mining communities in opposition to vaccine mandates and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff in the low bus liberty tour. Now, the one thing that I really got from the, the ones that were closer to the land, the yeoman farmer, and the ones that lived off the land, the ones that got grounded, they actually had their knees and hands in the dirt or something, you know, there was a, something totally different about them. They were less fearful, didn't care, saw it as a bunch of dumb peasants of, we don't even want to, you know, uh, uh, chastise them because we don't care. You know, we're not involved in that. Let's know how it works out. And then they would start to sustain themselves with a diversity and variety of things that they made. All of a sudden, they're educating their own kids more. 
Yeah, if they weren't already. They're starting yeah. to make their own home hygiene products. They're canning their own food. They're growing more diverse products that they wanted to make sure they had. 3D printing starts to come. Desktop publishing. Little mills and lays. Of, I mean, oh, my God. Exactly. You yeah, know, yeah, it, yeah. It, we got it, man. We're good. Yeah. Okay, I got Yeah, no, let's put this in the 21st century context. Yeah. This isn't about being an 18th century peasant farmer, necessarily. It's about using all of this... All of the, the, Heck, the fruits yeah. of all of this technological innovation for self-sufficiency rather than for dependence. I, I'm starting to see that this is going to be my focus. We're up here talking to sponsors and supporters and people. We make it up here every summer to kind of get reconnected. And um, it is I, – I don't think that everybody had seen it as clearly as I did, but it's becoming more and more obvious that our own self-sufficiency is what's going to save us. If we don't, if we can't, then you're dependent. You're looking for, you know, your bottled water at the next uh, stadium during the next crisis of whatever the hell with your government cheese. I, you know, this is, and then I want my, oh yeah, I'll, I'll trade in my uh, dollars for purple script digital money of I have to spend within a month that they gave me my universal basic or whatever with the, you know, oh, and I get a robot to, you know, take care of my, and watch me and control me and knife me. I mean, this is... It's becoming so obvious that if we don't stand up and be what a lot of cultures consider a human being, the goal was to be fully human, to maximize your capability to yourself and your family and your community, be an ad. That was the goal. Not what your bank account was, they take away anyway. You know, it is to be a human being. And I'm going... I'm, I wish to be more of a human being. I wish my children, my grandchildren, or my friends, family, that we can be more human beings. And when we come into these rural communities and you go to the, the weekend party, barn, dance, 4th of July, singing, firework, and have a good time, everybody kind of whatever, and oh my God, somebody prays. I mean, this has been, um, this is a solution. And this is what America, you know, kind of, meant to me as a kid and I could see it being you know stripped away intentionally and that's a good question for James and all your research documentaries and things that you've done it seems like America is the one under attack you know blah 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 we may be funding it you know we may be you know imperial war of they got us to do whatever the heck but what really was under attack was our middle class was the people they'll take away their resources thanks for uh, y- y'all in now well it's all ours now thanks for playing you know so i get the impression that it's america that is under attack and i just want to get your impression of that I think, in a sense, you're right, but we have to be careful about we and America and how we define these terms, because essentially what we are living through is what I think has always existed. There there is an oligarchy that exists that is not, it it doesn't conform to our nation-state understanding. It's about the financiers and the people who really control the system from the bottom up, and they are the parasites that invade and occupy certain hosts in different eras. 
So, for example, during the time of the British Empire, you better believe the parasite was inf infesting the city of London. And in the time of the American Empire, you better believe it is infesting Washington. But uh, part of the life cycle of the parasite is that it goes in, it invades, it, con it conquers the host in, in the sense of, uh, you know, there are certain uh, parasites that can invade a host and then start to direct its, in, you know, the way that it acts and functions in order to basically feed the the parasite. Um, that's what's that's what's happening. Um, but as, as soon it will expend that host, and it will it will create all this problem. And then when the host is attacked and dies and breaks open, the parasite flees to wherever the next the next convenient host is. And so I think we have to see it in those terms. America, the the United States of America, no, the geographical landmass of that we know of as America is being used as a host for the parasite oligarchs. Uh -huh. And uh, it, and part of their plan is to ultimately crash that against the system in order to create this bigger global regional governmental push. And they can't have that until America uh, the the old version of America that you have in your head until that is defeated, they can't have that the, their new system. Right. So yes, part of the plan is to destroy this, and that's because it isn't America or Americans that are in charge of this. It is an oligarchy that does not care about your conception of America. You know, this is one thing for people to understand. You look at uh, the stock market keeps going up. Why? Uh, silver and gold is still suppressed. Why? You know, and you you sit there and you see, well, they're just pumping money into, you know, BlackRock, Vanguard, whatever, straight from the Federal Reserve to go buy stuff. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. you'll own nothing and they'll have it, you know. <laughs> this is, it's so obvious what's happening, but we, you know, just been asleep at the wheel. You know, we just pay our, into our 401k IRA, whatever the hell, and, you know, when it's time to get in, it's gone. You know, so this is a lot of um, even in the 90s, you know, a lot of good, you know, liberty community, libertarian friends of mine just liquidated everything, took the tax hit and bought silver when it was three to six dollars. You know, said sure. eh, I'll just sit yeah. on it and we'll see what's up. So it hasn't really been more than a wealth retention. Uh, uh, you're beating inflation. If you you know played the stock market and you got out in the right time, you probably did well. But um, it really has just been a peace of mind. They just wanted to keep what they had. They had you know a plan, and I'm I I, I don't know what the best thing is because we're so manipulated all the time. You know, it's not it's not functioning rationally. So when you get yeah. land and you take care of yourself and you're self-sustaining, that's the real investment. The investment in your children's education, into their minds, into their Yankee ingenuity, freaking get her done kind of thing, and be of good character. By the content of their character, will they be judged and be supported? So this is, you know, what's important. And they're trying to, with tech, big tech and social media and blue face kids running around, they're roadkill. I, you know, this is, they're not going to make it. And some of them will, you know, rise up and the rest of them will just be protesting in the streets, want their next handout, you know? So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really encouraged by the things that I see happening for people of I don't want to say the right mind, the correct, you know, the survival mind. I mean, I think they're going to make it, not be roadkill. But um, I think there's going to be blood. I think there's going to be, you know, there's there's going to be unrest. You know, what? before you go, I'd like yeah. to have you just comment on the news of what's going on in France now and around the world and things are starting mm. to fall apart. Um, it's coming to America. Yeah. You know what I mean? What do you think? 
Oh, I don't know, but wouldn't you say it's already there to a large extent? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of uh, craziness that's going on in some of the cities in San Francisco and cities like that, but um, in Chicago, what have you. If you take in, in the out cities, the cities and their homicide rates and gun violence and all that, the major democratically run mm-hmm. cities, it's almost zero. I mean, you know, violence in America mm-hmm. is if you you take these cities that run into the ground mm-hmm. out of the equation, America's fine. You know, right. it's the people. Then you still have the opium epidemic that's uh, infecting rural areas and other. Oh, they're coming for us. That's for well. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's there's problems, but um, and and they are around the world. But I, as I say, I think it's part of the plan. Again, they cannot create a new system except from the ashes of the old. So they have to get rid of the old first. They have to crash it up. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the destruction of the prevailing post World War II order. And it's, you know, in a sense, hey, I mean, isn't this what we want? We do want to change from the direction we've been going in. But in what direction is it is is that going to go in? Who's going to get to steer the wreck once it's, uh, you know, once it's been smashed? Does it so need to be? That's the real question. I think maybe we can talk about that next time. Yeah, there's a, you know, I, I think next time maybe we look at, well, we'll talk about whatever's in the freaking news at the time two weeks from now. But um, there's a lot of secession talk. Everywhere, you know, counties in California, mm-hmm. parts yeah. of Washington, Oregon, no. you know, the states of yeah. New Hampshire, Vermont, I mean, for various different reasons, this isn't working. We want out. Sure. Can we do that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It was called Grant versus Lee. They, they you know, mm. think they decided it for you. But um, this has been a good conversation. I'm glad we brought this up because my whole thing has been that the purpose of government is the defense of the individual rights. I mean, if it doesn't do that, then what the hell is it there for, you know? And can you have a government yeah. that would maintain yeah. that ideology? Is it even possible? Uh, and not yet. I mean, you know, not not so far. But um, I, I see the more rule and more separate you are and more outside and the smaller government is, the more freedom you have, the more prosperity you have, the more happiness you have. That pursuit of happiness thing is in direct relation to how much government you got to deal with. You know, you don't have a permission slip mentality or got to get, you know, uh, uh, permits and, you know, permissions and everything from all these bureaucrats and so on. You just make most with what you have. And it's awesome. Um, America became powerful for a reason. You go on either side of the border, certainly you go down to Mexico to the degree that the individual's property and rights are protected is directly related to the degree of prosperity they have. Boom, end of story. So where are we trending? Not well. You know, and I encourage you, CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com, many documentaries there is famous and infamous with all the bad guys. That's good. You're in good company. But the uh, has a lot of information that I know we'll be highlighting in the shows in the future. But thanks, James, for having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Peace, brother. Bye. Take care.